and you're listening to God's Whole Story, a podcast of Worship Center. We know just how hard it is to read God's Word and understand it, so we decided to read the Bible chronologically this year and talk about it together. Thanks so much for joining us. Hey guys, welcome to God's Whole Story. My name is Ryan. I'm here today with Mandy, uh, and we're into Judges today. So we are we we are now done with Joshua. We're kind of done with maybe like the, um, I was almost going to say the first act. It's maybe like act one and a half. <laughs> the the Israelites are now very firmly in the land. Uh, they're not really looking forward to taking over the land anymore. This is actually now their home. Um, we get a little bit at the very beginning of Judges, kind of like where they're going to live and some of these skirmishes and stuff. Um, but but basically, Judges is about them living in the land, no longer looking forward to something that's to come. This mm. is them, and it's basically up to them uh, to to hold up their end of the covenant, which they do not do <laughs> consistently. What's up with that? <laughs> so, so Judges is known as like one of the one of the darker books of the Bible, uh, just because some pretty wild stuff happens. And it's also just like this this pretty vicious cycle of blessing and non-blessing. Okay, listen, <clears throat> this makes me have a lot of questions mm-hmm. because for so long they waited and they've come into the place that is the promise and they screw it up. Yeah. That is dark, right? Because how many of us are waiting and thinking that the promised land is the thing that's going to make life better. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah. And their life actually gets worse. Yeah. Because actually what is better is just holding up their end of the deal. Like, Also, could could it be that what's better is is dwelling with God? with God. Yeah. hundred percent. Could it be that what's better is the journey? Nobody wants to say that. Nobody wants to say everybody. And even for me for a little while, like the wilderness, I kept saying was like a mistake, right? Like they, it could have taken them 11 minutes to get through it. Not really, whatever it is, but it took them 40 years because, because of X, Y, and Z. What if, what if all of that was necessary? What if the wilderness was exactly where they needed to be for 40 years? Because God doesn't care that it took 40 years and God cares more about the process than he does about the promised land. That is a little bit challenging for those of us who might be holding our breath for a miracle, thinking that that is going to change our life. I don't know. Ryan, don't just shake your head. They can't see you. It sounds like you're ignoring me to them. So I'm not ignoring say, you at all. No, I know. They don't know that. Don't make your voice so high. <laughs> make your voice lower. All right. So I, I think it's definitely the case. Like, I think that there are definitely people in the in the camp, in the community, whatever, that are like, hey, we're going to get there. It's going to be awesome. And maybe... You know, I don't, I don't know, you know, their motivations and stuff, but maybe there is some piece of that that's like, oh, we're finally here. Like we can kind of let our guard down a little bit. What I do know is that we've seen a couple whispers of things that like have left us a little bit uneasy in some of the past readings. So there's this situation where Joshua's like, me and my family, we're going to serve the Lord. And if you're going to serve the Lord, throw away your idols. And they're like, yeah, we'll probably do that. And you're like, wait, they didn't actually throw away their idols. So now you get to this, this place where they're coming into the land. They're not driving the people out like they're supposed to. Um, so with not driving the people out, they're not getting rid of their idols. They're not destroying their high places. They're just not doing it. And I think one of the things that stuck out to me, yeah, tell me. they're actually turning tons of them into slaves. Um, and one of the things that we we've noticed, or at least me personally that I've noticed is that God, um, when like we think of slavery as like, like, 1800s, like people being sent here on ships, like horrible slavery. Um, when God defines slavery for the nation of Israel, it's like very like, hey, we're going to help people who need help to be like household servants 
basically he calls it slaves, but he means like you're going to um, have these people that are poor that come to you that need to serve you. And eventually you're going to release them into like a much better way of life. Mm. So God is like definitely not cool with this. Um, and it makes me think like, are they just, are they just actually at this point just into like, okay, we're going to make this land the best land. We're going to make these people do it for us. And like all of a sudden it's like what they can get out of this and not how they can live with God in the promised land. Yeah. So like they, they don't drive the people out. They turn them into slaves. Um, and basically they, they, they kind of become oppressors sort of to those people. Um, Lindsay has talked about in the past, like they were supposed to drive them out, meaning like not necessarily they're going to kill them all. They're just going to get them out of that land. So they, they do exactly the opposite. And so God says like, Hey, if you don't keep up your end of the deal, I'm not going to bless you anymore. So one of the interesting things to me about that is like, we can look at this and be like, man, how terrible is God that he's just letting these people come and attack them. He's letting their, their, their people be like harassed and oppressed consistently, but actually all he's doing is removing his blessing from them. And they're just living like the rest of the world. Mm. So they've enjoyed this bubble of God's provision. Yeah. And just to remind you, like anybody that decided to follow along with them could enjoy this provision of God's blessing. It wasn't just exclusively the Israelites. Um, anybody in the world that was willing to recognize God could travel with them and be in this bubble of blessing. And God's like, hey, if you're not going to, if you're not going to follow me, I'm not going to bless you. Mm. Um, and then you get this cycle of judges that pop up that are, that even in God not blessing his people, he continues to like see a way where they get 40 years of peace, 80 years of peace, whatever. Right. But in between is wild. Right. Well, I wonder, like, why do you think, and I, you know, I don't know, why do you think they didn't drive the people out? What do you, like, what is that about? Is it, is it like, you know, later it talks about like, hey, this generation that's left doesn't even remember or had never even seen God's provision, right? Like they aren't part of the wilderness situation. They don't even know. They do know the stories because they've been told the stories. They've been celebrating the, like the, the festivals and like, like God built it into their culture. I think they didn't care. Care. So I think I think it's easy to say they forgot. I think it's actually much more negative than that. I think they were just like, no, like we're not going to do that. That's mm-hmm. not who we're going to be. And you see that because they're 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 um, incorporating all these Canaanite things that they're not supposed to, right? Um, and it, it is like kind of it, it's very frustrating. It's like, guys, why couldn't you just get this? Yeah, but I I wonder why. Well, and I also think it makes me it makes me question like, was it was Joshua kind of holding it all together? Like because he dies and and you know and stuff gets crazy. And, and I just think like, it's interesting to me because we always equate promised land or prosperity with blessing. Um, and there was a promise of blessing here, but like, we also have to show up and do what we are asked to do. And what that is, is continue to remember our place, right? Like we're we're the beloved, but we're not the King. Like we're not the one in charge and we have to continue to surrender and, and, and continue to obey and all that stuff. Um, but I like look at this and I think like, Man, what what would take people who just got through the hardest season of their life, really, and make them go like, yeah, I'm probably not going to obey anymore? Like, it's really sad to me, but it's also really relatable. And that's what kind of freaks me out right now talking about it. It's like, man, this, the Israelites are so relatable. Um, so anyway, so we go through this whole thing where it's like, yeah, you didn't actually drive anybody out. Now you're trying to like partner with them and like, you know, you're living like them. Yeah, 100%. And you're forgetting the stories. You don't remember what God did for you. And then God keeps showing up and rescuing his people. He keeps raising up these judges and he keeps, but it says, is the minute the judge dies, the people go right back to the way they were. It's it's similar to a prophet. It's similar to like, 
like God is speaking through this person. God is blessing these judges to lead the people and like protect the people basically. But as soon as they're gone, it's over. Man. Um, it's, it's a dark period. Yeah. Like it, it, it just is. And it's a vicious cycle. One of my favorite verses, it's kind of weird that it's one of my favorite verses, but Judges 2.10, uh, it just shows the importance. Like, like So Judges 2.10 says, After that generation died, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things he had done for Israel. Mm. Why did a new generation spring up that knew nothing about God and nothing about what he had done? It's because the generation before them did not do their job. And so, like, I, I think that is still important today. We have to, the, the church specifically, we have to have a deep concern and care for the generation after us. And what's easy to do is say, like, oh, man, these, you know, whatever, this next generation, these millennials, these Gen Zers, yeah. these blah, 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 blah. Yeah. But actually, like, I think God lays out this this roadmap. It's like, you need to care deeply for the discipleship of the next generation. And if you do not... When they lead the people, they're not going to do a great job, and it will be your fault. Yeah. So I think as a church, we should have this heavy responsibility from Judges 2.10. I mean, from lots of scripture, but specifically Judges 2.10, the introduction to this like dark period. We've got to have a deep concern for those that are going to carry this responsibility after us. And if they don't know what God has done for us today, they won't expect him to do something for them tomorrow. Yeah. Well, I think that's like the whole thing here when we're talking about God's whole story. When we look at it, we zoom out. It's like, hey, there's more than just this moment. Yes. And and guess what? Nobody in these stories knew they were leaving a legacy. They were living their life. And the ones who were faithful left this beautiful legacy, not even knowing they were doing it. The ones who didn't realize that there was more than this moment of their life did not. Well, they left a certain kind of legacy, but not one that was worth repeating. And, um, I think we all have the choice, right? But we have to zoom out and realize like this moment isn't about us. Like we get this opportunity to be faithful and to keep showing up. Um, but it doesn't matter just for me and you, it matters for our children and their children and all of that. Right. And so, and we need to keep continuing to talk about the things that the Lord has done because it's so easy to forget. And that's the theme so far through all of these books is like, we forget really easily. So like, let us be people that speak about what God has done um, constantly, because what are, what are we doing as far as leaving a legacy if we're not doing that? And and I'm not even talking about like, exa- I'm like just adding to your point. We're not even talking about quote Bible stories. We're talking like, no. what did God do in your actual life like, yesterday? Today, Like yeah. what has God done for you yeah. when you were a teenager, when, when you were, you know, in your twenties, when you last week, when you prayed about something, what yeah. has God done in your actual life that you can share? And a lot of us have those things, but it's, it's a little bit difficult to be disciplined to share those things. Mm. Um, but it's very, very important because the next generation is forming their, their, thoughts and beliefs about God. And if he interacts with us in real life and we have those stories, yeah, like these are people that saw, you know, they were fed with bread that fell from the sky yeah, and that never came up. Yeah. So it's very, very important that the church hold this responsibility very close to our hearts yeah. and that we care about those that are going to hold this responsibility after us. Like if you're, if you're worried about where the world is going, you should be investing in the next generation. Amen. So guys, uh, it's been great chatting through judges. We're going to be into it again tomorrow. Uh, we're thrilled to go on this journey with you. Uh, we'll see you tomorrow. Bye. Judges one. 
After the death of Joshua, the Israelites asked the Lord, which tribe should go first to attack the Canaanites? The Lord answered, Judah, for I have given them victory over the land. The men of Judah said to their relatives from the tribe of Simeon, join with us to fight against the Canaanites living in the territory allotted to us. Then we will help you conquer your territory. So the men of Simeon went with Judah. When the men of Judah attacked, the Lord gave them victory over the Canaanites and Parasites, and they killed 10,000 enemy warriors at the town of Bezek. While at Bezek, they encountered King Adoni Bezek and fought against him, and the Canaanites and Parasites were defeated. Adoni Bezek escaped, but the Israelites soon captured him and cut off his thumbs and big toes. Adoni Bezek said, I once had 70 kings with their thumbs and big toes cut off, eating scraps from under my table. Now God has paid me back for what I did to them. They took him to Jerusalem, and he died there. The men of Judah attacked Jerusalem and captured it, killing all its people and and setting the city on fire. Then they went down to fight the Canaanites living in the hill country, the Negev, and the western foothills. Judah marched against the Canaanites in Hebron, formerly called Kiriath Arba, defeating the forces of Sheshai, Ahiman, and Talmai. From there, they went to fight against the people living in the town of Debir, formerly called Kiriath Sefer. Caleb said, I will give my daughter Aksa in marriage to the one who attacks and captures Kiriath Sefer. Othniel, the son of Caleb's younger brother, Kanaz, was the one who conquered it, so Aksa became Othniel's wife. When Aksa married Othniel, she urged him to ask her father for a field. As she got down off her donkey, Caleb asked her, What's the matter? She said, Let me have another gift. You've already given me land in the Negev. Now please give me springs of water too. So Caleb gave her the upper and lower springs. When the tribe of Judah left Jericho, the city of Palms, the Kenites, who were descendants of Moses' father-in-law, traveled with them into the wilderness of Judah. They settled among the people there near the town of Arad in the Negev. Then Judah joined with Simeon to fight against the Canaanites living in Zabath, and they completely destroyed the town. So the town was named Hormah. In addition, Judah captured the towns of Gaza, Ashkelon, and Ekron, along with their surrounding territories. The Lord was with the people of Judah, and they took possession of the hill country, but they failed to drive out the people living in the plains who had iron chariots. The town of Hebron was given to Caleb, as Moses had promised. And Caleb drove out the people living there who were descendants of the three sons of Anak. The tribe of Benjamin, however, failed to drive out the Jebusites who were living in Jerusalem. So to this day, the Jebusites live in Jerusalem among the people of Benjamin. The descendants of Joseph attacked the town of Bethel, and the Lord was with them. They sent men to scout out Bethel, formerly known as Luz. They confronted a man coming out of the town and said to him, Show us a way into the town, and we will have mercy on you. So he showed them a way in, and they killed everyone in the town except the man and his family. Later, the man moved to the land of the Hittites, where he build a town. He named it Luz, which is which is its name to this day. The tribe of Manasseh failed to drive out the people living in Bethshan, Tanakh, Dor, Ibliam, Megiddo, and all their surrounding settlements because the Canaanites were determined to stay in that region. When the Israelites grew stronger, they forced the Canaanites to work as slaves, but they never did drive them completely out of the land. The tribe of Ephraim failed to drive out the Canaanites living in Jazir, so the Canaanites continued to live there among them. The tribe of Zebulun failed to drive out the residents of Kitron and Nahalol, so the Canaanites continued to live among them. But the Canaanites were forced to work as slaves for the people of Zebulun. The tribe of Asher failed to drive out the residents of Akko, Sidon, Alob, Axib, Helba, Afik, and Rahab. Instead, the people of Asher moved in among the Canaanites who controlled the land, for they failed to drive them out. Likewise, the tribe of Naphtali failed to drive out the residents of Beth. 
Shemesh, and Bethanath. Instead, they moved in among the Canaanites who controlled the land. Nevertheless, the people of Beth Shemesh and Bethanath were forced to work as slaves for the people of Naphtali. As for the tribe of Dan, the Amorites forced them back into the hill country and would not let them come down into the plains. The Amorites were determined to stay in Mount Harry's. Ajalon and Shalbim, but when the descendants of Joseph became stronger, they forced the Amorites to work as slaves. The boundary of the Amorites ran from Scorpion Pass to Selah and continued upward from there. The angel of the Lord went up from the Gilgal to Bochim and said to the Israelites, I brought you out of Egypt into this land that I swore to give your ancestors, and I said I would never break my covenant with you. For your part, you were not to make any covenants with the people living in this land. Instead, you were to destroy their altars. But you disobeyed my command. Why did you do this? So now I declare that I will no longer drive out the people living in your land. They will be your be thorns in your sides, and their gods will be a constant temptation to you. When the angel of the Lord finished speaking to all the Israelites, the people wept loudly. So they called the place Bokim, which means weeping, and they offered sacrifices there to the Lord. After Joshua sent the people away, each of the tribes left to take possession of the land allotted to them, and the Israelites served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and the leaders who outlived him, those who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. They buried him in the land he had been allocated at Timnath Sarah in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. After that generation died, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things he had done for Israel. The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight and served the images of Baal. They abandoned the Lord, the God of their ancestors who had brought them out of Egypt. They went after other gods, worshiping the gods of the people around them. And they angered the Lord. They abandoned the Lord to serve Baal and the images of Ashtoreth. This made the Lord burn with anger against Israel, so he handed them over to raiders who stole their possessions. He turned them over to their enemies all around, and they were no longer able to resist them. Every time Israel went out to battle, the Lord fought against them, causing them to be defeated, just as he had warned, and the people were in great distress. Then the Lord raised up judges to rescue the Israelites from their attackers. Yet Israel did not listen to the judges, but prostituted themselves by worshiping other gods. How quickly they turned away from the path of their ancestors who had walked in obedience to the Lord's commands. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge over Israel, he was with the judge and rescued the people from their enemies throughout the judge's lifetime. For the Lord took pity on his people who were burdened by oppression and suffering. But when the judge died, the people returned to their corrupt ways, behaving worse than those who had lived before them. They went after other gods, serving and worshiping them, and they refused to give up their evil practices and stubborn ways. So the Lord burned with anger against Israel. He said, Because these people have violated my covenant, which I made with their ancestors and have ignored my commands, I will no longer drive out the nations that Joshua left unconquered when he died. I did this to test Israel to see whether or not they would follow the ways of the Lord as their ancestors did. That is why the Lord left those nations in place. He did not quickly drive them out or allow Joshua to conquer them all. These are the nations that the Lord left in the land to test those Israelites who had not experienced the wars of Canaan. He did this to teach warfare to generations of Israelites who had no experience in battle. These are the nations, the Philistines, those living under the five Philistine rulers, all the Canaanites, the Sidonians, and the Hivites living in the mountains of Lebanon from Mount Baal-Harmon to Lebo Hamath. These people were left to test the Israelites to see whether they would obey the commands of the Lord the commands the Lord had given to their ancestors through Moses. So the people of Israel lived among the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, and they intermarried with them. Israelite sons married their daughters, and Israelite daughters were given in marriage to their sons, and the Israelites served their gods. 
The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. They forgot about the Lord their God, and they served the images of Baal and the, and the Asherah poles. And the Lord burned with anger against Israel, and he turned them over to King Cush and Rishathiam and Aram Naharam. And the Israelites served Cush and Rishathiam for eight years. But when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, the Lord raised up a rescuer to save them. His name was Othniel, the son of Caleb's younger brother, Kenaz. The spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he became Israel's judge. He went to war against King Cush and Rishathiam of Aram, and the Lord gave Othniel victory over him. So there was peace in the land for 40 years. Then Othniel, son of Kenaz, died. Once again, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight, and the Lord gave King Eglon of Moab control over Israel because of their evil. Eglon enlisted the Ammonites and Amalekites as allies, and then he went out and defeated Israel, taking possession of Jericho, the city of Palms. And the Israelites served Eglon of Moab for 18 years. But when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, the Lord again raised up a rescuer to save them. His name was Ehud, son of Gera, a left-handed man of the tribe of Benjamin. The Israelites sent Ehud to deliver the tribute money to King Eglon of Moab. So Ehud made a double-edged dagger that was about a foot long, and he strapped it to his right thigh, keeping it hidden under his clothing. He brought the tribute money to Eglon, who was very fat. After delivering the payment, Ehud started home with those who had helped carry the tribute. But when Ehud reached the stone idols near Gilgal, he turned back. He came to Eglon and said, I have a secret message for you. So the king commanded his servants, be quiet, and he sent them all out of the room. Ehud walked over to Eglon, who was sitting alone in a cool upstairs room, and Ehud said, I have a message from God for you. As King Eglon rose... From his seat, Ehud reached with his left hand, pulled out the dagger, strapped to his right thigh, and plunged it in the king's belly. The dagger went so deep that the handle disappeared beneath the king's fat. So Ehud did not pull out the dagger, and the king's bowels emptied. Then Ehud closed and locked the doors of the room and escaped down the latrine. After Ehud was gone, the king's servants returned and found the doors to the upstairs room locked. They thought he might be using the latrine, the latrine in the room, so they waited. But when the king didn't come out after a long delay, they became concerned and got a key. And when they opened the doors, they found their master dead on the floor. While the servants were waiting, Ehud escaped, passing the stone idols on his way to Sarah. When he arrived in the hill country of Ephraim, Ehud sounded a call to arms. Then he led a band of Israelites down from the hills. Follow me, he said, for the Lord has given you victory over Moab, your enemy. So they followed him, and the Israelites took control of the shallow crossings of the Jordan River across from Moab, preventing anyone from crossing. They attacked the Moabites and killed about 10,000 of their strongest and most able-bodied warriors. Not one of them escaped. So Moab was conquered by Israel that day, and there was peace in the land for 80 years. Hey guys, this is Ryan, and I hope you are getting a lot out of God's whole story. Uh, it means a lot to us, even as we are reading through God's Word every single day in the order that it happened. Um, if you want to go ahead and follow us, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at God's Whole Story Podcast. Uh, we would love it if you would share this thing with your friends or people that you know, or just share what's sticking out to you. Uh, you can either send us a DM, or you could actually email us at podcast at worshipcenter.org. You can email us if you have any questions, if something stuck out to you, if you'd like us to pray for you, and if you want a Bible, if you don't have one right now, or if you want a copy of the one that we're using to go through God's whole story, we'd be happy to send that to you. So go ahead and reach out to us in any way that you'd like. We'd love to hear from you. Have a great day.